Every lady needs a hobby. A Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries podcast. I'm Mackenzie. I'm Genevieve. This week, we are reviewing Miss Fisher and the Crypt of Tears. Part two. It's not actually part two of the movie. It's just part two of this podcast because we had so much to talk about because this is a movie that we've been waiting about around for for three plus years. So we're going to make two episodes about it. Yes. Also, it's really long. So It's also very long. It's the length of a movie. So... <laughs> <laughs> typically how movies go. <laughs> um, so where we left off in uh, the first installment of this review was Shirin having just convinced Sheikh Khalil that the murder of the entire village in the desert was real. And, and he, he, he promises to, to investigate. Yes. Yes. Um, so in the next scene, um, it's the ball in Shirin's honor. I have or you might say. Go ahead. Oh, you might say a ball in honor of all of the Kickstarter fans who are extras in it. <laughs> I'm on board with both purposes. Um, in my notes, I just say have, now it's ball time, heck yes, in all caps. Heck yes. Heck yes. Heck yes. <laughs> um, I love a ball. Hold on. So um, at the ball, Jack arrives in a tux and funny scarf. I don't know why he's wearing that scarf. Because <laughs> it's chilly. Yeah. Why else do you wear a scarf? I guess so. I'll take the top hat for sure. Mm, yes, yes. Um, he has wrapped up the astrolabe as a gift for Miss Fisher. Uh, Aww. Which is cute, yeah. Um, I kind of wish he just brought her a real gift, though, you know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, inside the ballroom, uh, Monty... Wait, did, or, while they're looking at the astrolabe, a shooting star flies by. Oh, which I don't is, think I even yeah. noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> um excuse me, not Monty, Lofty and his wife are fighting. Um, the Sheikh seems to be backing out of the railroad deal and no one else will loan them, loan, loan them the money because they are up to their necks in debt. Um, yes. I also, wait, sorry. I also researched what an astrolabe is because of course I did. Of course. <laughs> um, so an astrolabe is mostly used in astronomy to determine the altitude of heavenly bodies but is also used to determine local latitudes. So I think that's the what the idea is with this this astrolabe, but it also is kind of a combination of the location of the village, but also the time of the eclipse. It's a little unclear, so it's I'm not entirely sure it would have directed them to the village like it does here, because it just says latitude, not like latitude and longitude. But... Hmm. That's interesting. I didn't research this, but my only knowledge of an astrolabe comes from the show Outlander, because or from the books. I'm not sure they actually get one in the show, but they the main character Jamie gets an astrolabe when they have when they get like land granted to them in Virginia. So many spoilers for Outlander. Sorry guys. Um, we're on like season six at this point. So anyway, um, but it's so that he can like plot out exactly the where his land is that he's been given using oh. the stars. So maybe it is able to point you to a specific location. Yeah, I guess. That, that checks out. Maybe we should learn to use one in case there's some kind of apocalypse, which honestly has never seemed more likely. This is true. You think we could take like a master class on using an astrolabe? A master class? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I was thinking about taking some classes at the community college. Do you think astrolabe use is a course they offer at National Community College? I don't think it is. Um, but if it is, how does that make you feel about your tax dollars? Like, better than I ever have. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, um, 
the she- Sheikh Khalil is arguing with Lord Montague, um, who claims that the matter in the desert had been investigated already, and it was all a sandstorm. Everything's fine. Shut up. Um, and uh, Miss Fisher and Jack are like, do they? They are eating snacks. They're feeding each other snacks, I believe, in the background of this little argument. <laughs> There's a lot of little like cute moments where they're like eavesdropping, but also just like being together to ball. So yeah, so oh, yeah. they're eat- <laughs> like eating snacks. <laughs> So and cute. dancing. Yeah. So yeah, they start dancing, and Miss um, Fisher is. She posits that Monty is acting as a go-between in the sale of Palestinian railways. Um, which is that? That's when Jack says, "Is this your idea of sweet nothings?" <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's always been her idea of sweet nothings. Yeah, I have. Yes, yes, it is her idea of sweet nothings. <laughs> nothing, nothing gets her going like solving a case together. <laughs> You know, I mean, they do say that couples who share interests stay together, so. Terrific. Maybe Dan and I should solve some murders. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe start with some, like, lower level crimes. Yeah. Um. So then uh, Lo- a drunken Lofty gets into a big argument with Sheikh Khalil, um, who he thinks has been sleeping with his wife, which, I mean, we can only hope that that's the case, but it's never confirmed. Um, <laughs> and also about the whole railway business. So the ball is stopped, and Sheikh Khalil uh, storms out angrily with Shirin, uh, who tells her to pack her things. Um, I also noted Percy and the Piccadillys is the name of the band playing in the background of the ball scene. (laughs) With Greg J. Walker in it. I'm pretty sure that's him with the violin. I'm pretty sure it is, yeah. And frankly, I'm so distracted every time I watch this scene because I'm trying to see people that we met at Miss Fisher God. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. Like, oh, same. it's Jennifer. Oh, like, we know yeah. these people. Um, yeah, I think like there's just so many people and I don't I don't know who all of them are, but I for sure recognize them. Like, yeah, the, the woman in the yellow dress who kind of follows Eleanor down this like Lady Lofthouse down the stairs after mm. uh, Lady Lofthouse's fight with Lofty. She kind of walks off and there's a woman in a yellow dress who follows her. I, I think I remember Miss Fisher mm-hmm. uh, And is that the man that um, Aunt Prudence tries to introduce Lofty to was he was also he's also a fan, right? Yes, yeah, I'm pretty sure he he is. Yeah, and then Jennifer, um, Mary anyway. and JoJo, yeah, Mary and JoJo, yeah. Um, well, I'm very jealous. That must have been super fun for everyone. Oh, I know. I uh, again, if there's a Kickstarter for a second movie, <laughs> I have um, yeah. Um, <laughs> I also, so I like Franny's ball gown with the capelet on, but then she takes off the capelet when she's inside, and I don't like it as much without the capelet on. Oh, because it's like, uh, like sort of a corset-style bodice? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't seem very 20s, does it? No, and I just feel like the, I don't know, the cape is so cool, and I'm like, why couldn't she have just kept that on? Yeah, I don't know. It's very, it's very sparkly. Yes. I do like the little, like, shawl triangle that probably has a name, but the little, like, piece in front of her bodice. I think that's mm. kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the name of that is, but it is cool. Um, so then uh, out on the veranda, um, Lord Montague is comforting an irate drunken lofty. Um, and then he tells Miss Fisher to report to the police station at 10 a.m. Um, <laughs> I was trying to figure out what my next note said because my notes app has corrected Crippens to dripping. And I was like, <laughs> dripping? Um, so Crippens invites Lofty to the drawing room for coffee. Um, and so they kind of shuffle. Lofty is not interested in that. 
Um, they shuffle off, and then a gunshot rings out, and um, everyone rushes to shake Khalil's room, uh, or Jack and Franny do this. They kick in the door and find him shot dead, window open. Uh, out on the lawn, a gun is discovered near the window, along with a button. And this inspector is no local Claude. He snaps up that button and the gun. Um, Lofty is the number one suspect, given the heated argument from earlier. Um, and Crippens conveniently provides an alibi for Jonathan, but not Lofty. Hmm, someone is lying. <laughs> Indeed. Spoiler alert, it's Drippins. Drippin. Drippings. <laughs> um... <laughs> Uh, so Miss Fisher and Jack immediately climb into Sheikh Khalil's window, still in their ball clothes. <laughs> um, and they think that the body has been moved and he was actually shot from inside the room, not outside. And then the gun was tossed out the window and the door was locked from the outside. Um, and inside the vase in the room, they find the giant amethyst, which looks so fake. Well, A, it's an emerald, Mackenzie. Oh, I'm right, pretty sorry. sure. <laughs> sorry, emerald. Yeah, this is a bit of a stretch. Because John Mackenzie, it's it's not a stretch. Jonathan has purposely hidden the emerald in the vase, taken a peacock feather out, laid it in front of the fireplace, because obviously Friday will know that the peacock Feather is the eyes of the stars and the guardians of royalty. And so obviously she would then look in the vase and find the emerald. It's very clear cut. I don't understand what's confusing about that. Oh, yeah, definitely not confusing at all. Wait, when did Jonathan even do this? Like, did he know that the sheikh was going to be murdered? No, the reason she notices it is that it wasn't there when they first inspected the room. So at some point he like came back in, stashed the emerald, placed the peacock feather. I see. In anticipation of this follow-up investigation. Indeed. So he does know Friday pretty well. Yeah, that's true. Um, so they take this Wait, giant... E- we, oh. we also get a finger on the lips moment in this scene. I'll just note that. Oh, right. Because the constable moves it in the hall. And so Friday lingeringly puts her finger on Jack's lips. Because of course... <laughs> Of course. Love it. Um, so they take the emerald to the back to the professor who wants nothing to do with it. Um, and they have to hold him at gunpoint to make him translate the inscription on it. Um, Which is like a lot. Like, really? Gunpoint? <laughs> yeah. He's not she the bad re- guy. <laughs> she wouldn't really have shot him anywhere lethal. <laughs> um, and... I, oh, I also noted that I love Miss Fisher's matching hat and dress in this scene. Like, oh, the, yeah. the trim on the hat matches the top. I like that. Yeah, I love the hat, especially. It's good yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, and they determine that the end of the world is basically about to happen at the next solar eclipse if they don't put the emerald back in the tomb and end the curse. We have to stop the curse. Is it really the end of the world, actually? Or is it just, like, one really big sandstorm? Um unclear if it was the end of the world you'd think they'd be feeling like more pressure you know like don't fuck it up also if it's a curse for because like if it's king tut's tomb then it's everyone who opened the crypt so like it would affect jonathan because everybody else is already dead yeah yeah like why would sharin be affected by a curse that like she had nothing to do with or maybe it's just because she was there she would be cursed too the curse is just hard to understand. I guess that's the thing with curses. Maybe there's a deleted scene that explains it all. Maybe. <laughs> um, okay, so 
Shirin, the, the message is clear. Shirin and Ms. Fisher have to rush off to Palestine in what is unfortunately a two-seater plane, um, which causes Jack to basically profess what I have noted as the diet version of his love in front of everyone. <laughs> you know, he can't, she can't leave him behind, not after everything that's happened. Um, but luckily, Jonathan has a plane and he can fly it. So irritating love triangle dynamic. Yeah, nothing like flying to Palestine with your rival in a tiny plane after he admits <laughs> to being a little rusty on his flying, you know? Oh, my God. Sign and, me uh, up. Oh, my God. And then the part where he's like, I hope she doesn't fly like she drives. <laughs> Jonathan's like, what? <laughs> but it turns out the only love triangle he had to worry about was the Camelier because Jonathan never really horns in. Yeah, again, I go back to all that kissing on the lips. What was it about? Yeah. I Besides don't get the kissing it on the lips, there's like no nothing between Jonathan and Miss Fisher. Yeah, you might be right about that. Um, so here's my going back to this curse. Do we think that Phryne believes this curse? Because it seems completely out of character for her. And she's like always so practical and looking for the rational explanation, like with the ghost that everyone was seeing in the theater. She like figured out that it wasn't really a ghost. So I'm like, is she, does she believe the curse because of King Tut's tomb? Is she just humoring Shirin? Is she trolling Jack? I mean, it seems like she really believes it, but that just seems like so out of character for Miss Fisher, who's always like looking to get to the bottom of things. Well, you're right. I do think that that does seem out of character for her. But the reason I think it works in the movie is because it's a movie, so they need something unusually, like, large, right? Like, like I think the reason this movie works a little bit better than, like, the Downton Abbey movie is that they didn't go for anything really big in that. It was like that the plot of that movie could have been the plot of an episode of the show. Whereas right. this this movie, it's like, oh, there's a giant conspiracy. Like, the whole world will be affected, you know? Like, that feels more like movie scale to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they kind of had to have the curse to bring it beyond just a murder yeah. story. I mean, I think they could have achieved the same effect without having to, like, bring in the supernatural, but I don't know. Yeah, but and they could have just had her be a little more, I guess they have Jack be skeptical of the curse. And I think he's clearly in it to like spend more time with Phryne, So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it works. <laughs> I just, I felt like it was out of character for Phryne to be so taken in by this curse like she was. Yeah, I agree. Um, so quick uh, interlude at the police station. The shrewd police inspector has ascertained that Lofty was framed for the murder because the missing button was photographed having been missing, missing earlier in the night. Um, Lord Montague fears a diplomatic disaster. <gasps> oh, no. <laughs> um, so and there's no footage at all of the plane ride to the desert, but um, they arrive. <laughs> I know, right? They arrive there and we see the four of them riding on camels, just absurdly attired. Just Miss Fisher's wearing a, just an all white sort of fancy a, a sheer blouse. I mean, and I'll, I noticed black nylons, which like I hate wearing black nylons almost under almost any circumstance and definitely not in the desert. Like just imagine how hot and uncomfortable that would be. Oh, God, you're right. Just the whole thing is very silly, but I like it. It's stylized. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's great. Great film. It's just. Oh, yeah. Wait, did we well, talk also, about how we had the evidence that Lofty was framed? Did you already say that? And I just didn't hear it. Oh, yeah. Well, I said that the. The um the missing button was not a clue or the, yeah basically yeah I think okay. I said that I have it in my notes framed anyway it was framed anyways it's also hilarious that the Phryne sent them the photo oh yeah 
I did. I, I, missed, that. I missed that completely. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. She continues oh. trolling the <laughs> officials. What she, what she does best. Yes. Um, so I, the funny thing about this scene to me where they're riding the camels is that, did, did you watch the like extras that they have on Acorn where they oh, interview the no. cats and stuff? I did not. Yeah, it's good. You should watch it. Um, but one of the scenes clearly shows them getting on actual camels with like trainers and stuff. Um, and then there's an IMDB review that's like, oh, the desert scenes were clearly green screened and they're definitely just oh. riding like mechanical saddles instead of real camels, which is so funny. This person thinks they've got such a like a gotcha review, but like, no, they they went to the desert and they rode real camels. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that yeah. is real, real footage. Yeah. Um, so the guide, uh, whose name is, is his name Abdul, I think? I think so, yeah. Wait, let me um, he's acting suspiciously and has a bunch of money hanging from his belt, which, like, who does that? Put that shit in your pocket, dude. I know, it's just, like, stuffed in his waistband. It's like... Doesn't he have a camel saddlebag? I, yeah, it, it looked like a lot of money. Um, yeah, so the camelier is definitely suspicious, and during a little siesta in the desert, Miss Fisher decides to search the camelier... Um, and he thinks that she's making a move on him, which gives Jack an opening to take his gun while they, Miss Fisher and Abdul make out. <laughs> and here's the thing, after the little, like, the little tussle, he comes up and his face is just covered in lipstick. Covered in lipstick. And her lipstick is still, like, just perfect. And I'm like, alright, she would also have lipstick all over her face. <laughs> That must have been a conscious decision where they were like, no, we can't show oh, yeah. Miss Fisher looking ruffled because she never does. It's, I mean, it's hilarious, but it's, it's very funny. Her lipstick is still just perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they send him on his way, but let him keep the cash. Um, he, oh, because he was paid off by an Englishman to delay him until this mysterious Englishman arrived. Must have been Crippen's. Mm-hmm. But how? How did Crippens know that this was going to be their camel leader? I don't understand this transaction. Yeah, absolutely unclear. Um, um, unless Crippens, yeah, anyways, I don't know. It's it, None of this part really makes much sense. Um, so that next scene, um, an argument ensues uh, because <laughs> Jack didn't realize she was going to send away their only guide. Um, and he just wants to know what she's up to so that he can help. But Miss Fisher knows that she'll be perfectly fine without anyone's help uh, until she falls in quicksand. <laughs> I just, this is such a like classic couple conversation where it's like, why don't you trust me? Why don't you tell me what's going on? <laughs> Both of you are right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this scene is incredibly stupid and I'm incredibly delighted by it. It's so good. <laughs> So she sinks like rapidly into quicksand and Jack whips off his shirt saying, I'm not losing you like this. And he twists it into a rope to fish her out of the quicksand and onto his now nude heaving chest. Oh, I have like um, five lines of just. Mm. <laughs> yeah, his muscles are just popping in the same oh, arm. So great. So, uh, so she tells him that she married the Maharaja because he needed to pretend not to be gay or he would be stoned. Um, and the scene is just like I wrote in my notes that it's like an orgasm of communication after three seasons of like stunted <laughs> communications between these two. Yeah, she's like, okay, I will explain. And he's like, all right, I will be understanding. 
good. And of course, this has to happen in just like the most ludicrous setting where she's like in quicksand, which like, I didn't research whether that was realistic. I should have, but. I don't think it is because I think quicksand is more like, um, it's like swampy, I think. Mm-hmm. It's not like Princess Bride style. I always think of. (laughs) (laughs) And you can get out of it just by moving slowly. I don't think you sink, like, at the speed of, like, a foot a second like she does. I don't care, though. I don't care at all whether this is realistic or not because it's just all I ever wanted. And I I just never recapture quite the delight that I felt when we first watched the movie. Oh, my gosh. And it was just, like, pure joy. Oh, my gosh. And it's, like... The way that they're both just, it's like, I think it's supposed to be as if they just had sex, you know? Like, it's, that's, I think, what yeah, they're kind of yeah. trying to imply with the, like, way it's framed. And it's, it kind of feels like a consummation, right? After, like, three <laughs> seasons of nothing, it's like, okay, finally. Well, so finally I just, see Jack without his shirt on. Yeah. Number one. Number one. Um, Do you and- think he- Went on a diet for, for this movie, for this scene? I don't know. I get the feeling he's kind of fit just in his normal life. Yeah. But I'm wondering if he, like, you know, packed on the vanity muscle just for this. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> um, it, whatever he did, it worked. It's working, yeah. Um, I also love how he pulls her out and she's like, sort of, like, catapults onto his chest. Like, I don't think the physics of that would, like, she kind of has to, like, leap out of the hole and land on his chest yeah i it doesn't none of it makes sense but in Again, reality yeah she just be dragged yeah but she sort of like springs out of the quicksand on top of him i'm not complaining to be clear in any way shape or form i'm really glad that that's how the physics the little movie physics worked but oh absolutely oh and then also she's like totally clean subsequently like her her pristine white outfit is still totally clean and white of course it is. Also, how is she staying so well put together without Dot? I don't know. Yeah, and also in the middle of the desert. It's not like they can shower. Oh, I'd be sweaty mess. Like, I yeah. look like a mess after hiking for, like, three hours. And I look like I've been in the woods for a month. And she <laughs> like, it's just always fresh. <laughs> There's actually, if you watch the extra content on acorn there's a scene of them like sitting on the camel and um the makeup artist is handing her like a little uh nose strip to like blot her nose with (laughs) clearly because she's sweating because you know she's a human being um so i thought that was funny um so i looked up the prince of padna which is who the Maharaja's true love was. And I don't think that is a real person, though Padna does appear to be a village in Slovenia. So I don't know about that. Fascinating. It's probably not the same Padna. Yeah, it was the only one I found, though. Yeah, they might have made that up. Okay. Um, so the party continues their ride across the desert without Abdul the Camelier, which makes you wonder, why did they need him in the first place? That's I was like, are they, weren't the camels his? Like, they could just send him off like that? Who, who's taking care of the camels now? Do they know how to take care of camels? No. They don't know how to take care of camels. Yeah, you can't just ride an animal all day and then take care of it improperly. No. They need, like, food and water and I assume also, like, rub downs and stuff, you know? I mean, one would imagine. I would know the first thing about caring for a, for a camel. Either. This is so funny. Like, I'm a, I love, like, um like, horse nonsense in movies. You know, yeah. this, is cam- this is camel nonsense. 
Like in um the Christmas Prince, there's a scene where she's like riding a horse and then she just like gets off the horse and just like lets go of the rain. <laughs> horse just like walks out of the frame and it's like, where is it going? You can't just do that. <laughs> and also that she just like knows how to ride a horse and has absolutely no trouble just like hopping on. Well, that might be more realistic. Well, wait, isn't that movie in modern times or olden times? It's in modern times. Um, so they're, they've bedded down, I think, for the night in the desert. Um, Shirin seems pretty perturbed. Um, and Jonathan sees a flashing light in the distance, but either thinks it's nothing or claims to think it's nothing. And I, it's never clear to me whether or not he knows that Crippens has been following them all along. Yeah, I have no idea. Because we definitely know. We, we The viewer sees the plane. And yeah, it's not made clear whether he knows that the plane is coming. But may, maybe he does, because I think, I don't know how he could possibly could have anticipated all of this. But, you know, in the end, he ultimately kind of is probably... But, like, also, how did the plane follow them without them hearing it? Well, that's a good question. Also, how did Crippens know where the village was? Or he was just, he must have just been following them. Absolutely or, unclear. But the Camelier didn't know where the village was either, because Friday had the astrolabe. Absolutely no idea. So he must have just been following them from afar, where somehow they didn't see him? Anyways, <laughs> also, my question is, where did he get this plane, and why does he know how to fly? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's how like, do they all have planes? Yeah, it, yeah. Um, so it's about to get weirder. Um, buckle up, folks. Yeah. So they bed down for the night, and Shirin dreams of her mother, um, who's got like really fabulous long braids. Very oh, jealous of her hair. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, that actress is stunning. Um, and so. Then the entrance to the village is suddenly illuminated by the dawn light, um, and the party uh, like walks up to the village and through the decrepit gate. Shirin comments on the now dry well that used to overflow with perhaps the tears of Alexander the Great. Mm, <laughs> yes. <laughs> A bunch of clues are immediately uncovered, despite this whole thing being 2,000 years old. Um, Shirin has a map tattooed on her inexplicably. Um, and some quick triangulation occurs to uncover the opening of the crypt. How convenient. Yeah, just as a big old sandstorm starts to blow in again. Uh, So they descend into the crypt, and inside they find a coffin containing a woman's preserved body, and it looks like, is she she preserved in honey? Yes, so I researched this. Fear not, listener, I researched it. Honey does have embalming qualities, so there's been berries that have been found involved in honey. That are 4,300 years old and remarkably intact. 4,300 years old. Yes. And honey's extremely high sugar content acts much like salt. So it sucks water from bacteria, essentially drying microbes to death. And so, yes. And then after he died in 323 BC, Alexander the Great himself was reportedly immersed in a golden sarcophagus brimming with honey. Wow. And his, it's because his subject wa- subjects wanted to keep him presentable for public display. So it does have embalming qualities. It seems unlikely that so much honey would remain in this open coffin for so many years. But Yeah, I mean, the, the entrance of the crypt, like, wasn't even sealed. So... No. And she appears to be sort of, like, swimming in the honey. Anyways... I also don't understand why the casket is open, but... Yeah, I just feel like it would have been filled with flies. Yes. <laughs> um, but it's not. Yes. So, yes. Um, 
So they also find inside of the crypt a dried out body with Jonathan's knife in it. The the Lofthouse family crest. <gasps> what? what? Could there be more to the tale? Um, so Jonathan admits yes, finally. Yes, <laughs> yes, there's always more. <laughs> if this were Scooby-Doo, at this point, the masks would be ripped off. But no. Um, so <laughs> Thankfully, it's not Scooby-Doo. <laughs> thankfully, Yeah. Um, so Jonathan admits that he was there at the time. He's been lying the whole time. Um, he and Wilson and Templeton came for the jewels and Shirin's mother led them down into the crypt to get the jewel. Um, Templeton was left alone up there and shot everyone because he was crazy, I guess. Um, and then Jonathan's mother accidentally stabs or sorry, Jonathan accidentally stabs Shirin's mother when she attacks him. Um, a, quote, accident, he claims. But, I mean, you stabbed your own hostage, Jonathan. Like, that's not an accident. Yeah, that's what I was like. Was it really an accident? Because she, like, a, sort of, like, when when the gunshots go off in the flashback, she sort of, like, jumps. But, like, why would he have then stabbed her? I don't think she was armed. So I feel like he's saying that Templeton was crazed by the war, but it seems like maybe he was a little, uh... Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then he says they were all cursed from then on. Which is why Jonathan planted the emerald to get Miss Fisher to handle it for him. But, like, were they cursed? Because it seems like Templeton and Wilson had a bad time. But Jonathan's just been living a gentleman's life in the Lofthouse Manor while his brother just descends into alcoholism and his marriage fails. So, I mean, it seems like Jonathan's actually doing fine. Yeah. Lofty seems like the one that's suffering under a curse. Exactly. But that curse is probably just alcoholism and not some tomb robbing curse no interesting well anyway moving on from that uh ridiculous subplot um or main plot um <laughs> center the, the next ridiculous main plot dripping. yeah i just noted then there's a whole nother fucking mystery who killed the sheik and wilson crippens the butler <laughs> he has been following them the whole time um, <laughs> In a plane, which he can somehow fly, unnoticed by them, he had such a stake in this whole mystery that he decided to commit not one but two murders and frame Jonathan's own brother for one of the murders. It's too absurd. Um, and, yeah, he like t- I, his plan is not very well thought out because he's like, Lofty was frittering away the state. You should keep the emerald, Jonathan. And it's like, wait, that's your plan? Like, this emerald that is like, what, is he going to sell that? Yeah, is he going to, like, break it up into many smaller emeralds and sell them for what I can only presume would not be the value of the estate? I I don't know. It seems like, like, again, Crippen's plan seems like a bad one. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Um, So Jonathan stays behind to, uh, yeah, just at this moment, like, some kind of, like, I don't know, rock slide or something starts to occur. Everything is shaking. I don't know. Um, is it the sandstorm? Is it because they opened the crypt? But what wouldn't that have happened when they originally opened the crypt? Is it just falling into disrepair? Is it an earthquake? Absolutely Maybe. unclear. Anyways. So Jack, Franny, and Sharin flee as Jonathan stays behind to finish off Crippens. And um, I noted, I think this is the beginning of the curse happening. <laughs> yeah, definitely uh, seems like... Maybe the curse was real, and I shouldn't have been so skeptical. Yeah. So we hear a shot fired, um, and then Jack has to drag Franny away, which is really the only sign of true affection that she shows for Jonathan, other than the initial kiss. 
Um, and then a second shot is heard, which must be Jonathan killing himself. Yeah. And my question is, like, why couldn't he have just, like, shot Crippens and then also escaped? I don't, I'm not sure. Well, I, I, don't I, think he, I don't think he wanted to. I think he was just, like, racked with guilt about this whole thing. And that's when he's like, well, I want to set things right. And he kind of tells them to go. I think that was his, yeah, that was his plan. Right. Well, maybe in felt- part two, it'll turn out that he's alive down there. I don't think so. No? Okay. You think it'll be just a whole separate absurd mystery in the second movie? I hope so. Involving the Maharaja? Yes. Um, so they emerge from the crypt and the well overflows with CGI water and the emerald is seen to glow within the crypt. And the eclipse is over, so the curse is broken. Yes. So I guess the curse was real or is the CGI water sort of just like in Shrin's mind? Absolutely. The curse must be real. The curse must be real. I think, yeah, I think the curse is real. Um, so back in the city, um, Lofty is informed that Jonathan's body cannot be retrieved from the crypt. Crypt. Miss <laughs> um, Fisher reveals that she knew that Crippens was Jonathan's father all along um, because of various clues, such as Crippens always defending Jonathan. Uh, Who's the little things? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Sharin decides to stay behind in Palestine, which is cool. Um and then we get the final scene. The final, well, second to last scene. Yeah. But the most important scene. Most important scene in the whole film. Uh, so Jack and Miss Fisher are mysteriously sleeping in desert tents rather than a guest house or something, but it works. Um, Jack is reading when he hears a gunshot in the next tent over. It's a tarantula. <laughs> so funny. Also, let me just say, Jack sitting there reading in his tent is like, so sexy. Yeah, he's yeah, he's not wearing a jacket at this point. So he's just like latching there in the like soft yellow light, like reading a book. It's just like oh. I love that even after everything that happened, they still were like, okay, well, shall we retire to our separate tents now that we're finally alone and we've come to an understanding and the mystery is solved and we can just relax in this desert paradise? I guess yeah, we'll just split up to our separate tents. Yeah, I, they must just be doing a little, like, pleasure tour after solving the mystery. Like, they have camels. They're in the desert. It's not like they're staying somewhere in Jerusalem and glamping tents. They're, yeah, I don't know. That's true. Um, so then, you know, Miss Fisher pretends that there's been a spider. Jack goes to shoot it. Um, and then he comes back in and um, they, I guess, just, I mean, basically make out. I. <laughs> well, she's like... Spiders are my only fear, Jack. That and spending a long-distance flight with Aunt Prudence. <laughs> yeah. And then he says, no, you're afraid of me. Afraid that if you fall in love with me, I'll turn you into a policeman's wife and try to stop you from saving the world. And then she, I, I don't need to marry you. I just need your heart because God knows you've got mine. Aww. And then she says, Jack, I gave you that a long time ago. For a detective, you don't notice much. <laughs> And then the suspenders are slipped off. The makeout begins. <sighs> and then it just fades away. Rude. Fades away. We yeah. get plenty of Friny in bed with other people, but not with Jack. It's all right. Yeah. We finally get like a kiss in the bedchamber, which is way steamier than any other Jack and Friny action. It's all we've ever series, wanted. So, yeah, I'll take it. Um, and then we get a little credits bonus scene where um, Jack and Franny are riding out of the desert and Jack is behind Franny on the camel, which is everything. I mean, mm-hmm. so oh. key. Um, 
when they get just some random messenger boy runs along and and gives them a message that the maharaja is dead and they have to they have to go he's what not did she dead. say alay alay yes <laughs> oh yeah um, yeah so again i did research the real maharaja of lr and he died in 1937 so mm. not quite accurate but i'll take a sequel even if it's not historically accurate oh so absolutely i'm like all in for a sequel also, a note on timing. They they indicate that this movie is taking place in 1929, but I thought that I remembered the first season of the show being set in 1928. So is that supposed to indicate that three seasons of the show went down in one year? I think so. Because, yeah, it huh. is 1928 when the show starts, I'm pretty sure. I guess so. it's possible. There's only one Christmas in July that happens, so. Mm-hmm. Precisely. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, ready for the murder recap? Because it's a doozy. Uh, yeah, so ready. <clears throat> All right, in British Palestine, after World War One, three British soldiers hear rumors of jewels hidden in a Bedouin village and strike out to find them. While, while they are in the village seeking these jewels, they're led into the crypt of the desert life of Alexander the Great by the keeper of this secret. And Templeton, who is standing, one of the soldiers who is standing guard outside, starts just shooting the villagers at random. So the woman who leads the other two soldiers, Wilson and Jonathan Lofthouse, friend of Franny Fisher, startles and starts to run out of the crypt. And Jonathan reacts and accidentally stabs her. However, Jonathan then takes the emerald. Wilson takes the amulet from around the woman's neck, as well as the astrolabe that... Are you are you raising your eyebrows suggestively? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> Carry on. Um, anyways, and Temple... <laughs> <laughs> Templeton takes an astrolabe that leads to the village. Um, I, this is presumption because we don't actually establish where the astrolabe is acquired. But um, Sharin, the daughter of the murdered woman, is the only survivor since she's out of the village when Templeton murders everyone. Wilson, one of the soldiers, rescues her, takes her back to Jerusalem. Wilson and Templeton desert the regiment on that day. And then Tem- Templeton is ultimately shot for desertion, presumably because he makes his way home to his wife. And he leaves the astrolabe with his wife. Sharin, meanwhile, has been asking questions in Jerusalem about what happened to her village, um, which makes the British nervous since there's so much unrest in Jerusalem between the Jews and the Arabs at this time. Montague, a British administrator, locks Sharin up for causing trouble, and Phryne has caught wind of a young woman being locked up for using her voice and is on the case. Um, Presumably, as we discussed in this podcast, she catches wind from Sharin's uncle, who is working with her friends, the Lofthouse. Lofty. Lofthouse. Lofty Lofthouse. Um... (laughs) So she rescues Sharin from jail, flies her back to England to reunite her with her uncle, Sheikh Khalil. The Sheikh has been working for the British and so is away from the village when the massacre happened and is now in England trying to fund the sale of the Palestinian railway to himself and Lord Lofthouse, the brother of Jonathan, who murdered Sharin's mother. Bryony is presumed dead after having gone missing after rescuing Sharin and makes a dramatic entrance at her own funeral. <laughs> All right. Meanwhile... Wilson is convinced that they are cursed for breaking the crypt, makes his way back to England to find Sharin and return the amulet that he stole from her mother to her and try to break the curse. However, at his arranged meeting with Sharin, to which Franny and Jack show up instead, he is shot by Crippens, the Lofthouse's butler, and Jonathan's real father, who has picked up on the whole thing by generally knowing everything. Um, seriously, though, my question is, did Jonathan confide in him? How else would he have known about the original story? Ooh, Fascinating. He must have. Like, Jonathan must have confided in Crippens. Otherwise, why would he have known that Jonathan was involved at all? Perhaps Crippens was reading Jonathan's secret diary. 
Dear Diary, today I unleashed an ancient curse upon the world and murdered an innocent woman. It's the kind of thing you leave out of the diary, probably. I guess so. Which would be sad, because it would certainly be your greatest adventure. Right. It gets complicated <laughs> when you unleash ancient curses. Um, <laughs> anyway, so Crippens kills Wilson in the church, but Wilson is able to give Phryne the amulet before he dies. And Jack and Phryne track down Templeton's wife. Uh, find the astrolabe. Shirin tells her uncle what is going on. He promises to stop the sale of the railway until he figures out what's going on. I'm not sure why he does this, but it ends in his death. So she, so Crippens overhears Khalil stating his promise to get to the bottom of this murder of Shirin's village and then takes advantage of a public fight between Lofty and Khalil, prompted by Khalil holding up the railway deal. So Crippens plants a button from Lofty's waistcoat next to the gun that he throws out the window after sneaking into the Sheikh's room to kill him, then locks the door from the outside and hides the key under the rug to presumably further bolster the window shooting theory. Um, Jonathan hides the emerald in the Sheikh's room for Phryne to find, and they all head to Palestine to break the curse after learning from the professor that they only have until the next solar eclipse. Um, Crippens uh, is on their tail, though, pays their camelier to slow them down, and heads out in a plane that he some somehow obtained to follow them. They find the crypt while there. They discover Shirin's mother, and Jonathan comes clean about what really happens, and then Crippens comes in. A scuffle ensues. Jonathan kills him, then himself, as the crypt collapses around them, and the curse is broken. Wow. <sighs> <laughs> well done. Well done. And that is the Crypt of Tears. I'm not sure I fully grasped all those details until I at least watched it, like, for the third time. Mm-hmm. I the first grasp- time through, I was like, what? <laughs> I did not grasp all of them until I very purposely took notes on every single detail, so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, perfect. Um, well, I guess, should we get into our ratings? Yes. Best outfit. Um, okay, so I did have trouble picking just one. Which I think is fair because it's, you know, it's a two-hour movie. So Mm -hmm. Um, first on the list, I would like to say Jack in a Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) t-shirt. Second, um, the PF sweater. Ooh, yes, 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 yes. And third, the beautifully embroidered blouse that Shirin wears. All top-notch choices. Top-notch. I chose Jack's desert garb. Ooh. It's very much a departure from his usual attire, and his like shirt is a little bit unbuttoned, and he like the white shirt makes him look very tan in the desert. His hair is a little tousled, which I know is not part of the outfit, but the whole look is just really working for me. Oh yeah, it's a terrific look. Also, now that the movie is out, fan accounts on Instagram have been posting a lot of pictures of him in the desert garb, and I cannot get enough. So thank you to everyone who is spreading that. <laughs> love on social because <laughs> i personally am there for every single one <laughs> yes i need to go back and, and kind of review that you know it's been a while since like the fan frenzy really broke you know mm-hmm. on instagram so I, I need to hit up some hashtags i think still going strong you just gotta follow all the hashtags then you see all of the wonderful content <laughs> what i follow miss fisher what, what are you mm-hmm. following that's the, that's the only one that's the main one yeah it's the main one. frack maybe would be another one yeah <laughs> Um, so what did you have for worst outfit of the week? I really, I put Friday's dress in the rescue scene at the beginning. I really didn't like it. The red dress? Yeah. The culottes? Yeah, the culottes. Sort of a romper, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I had Lofty's turtleneck um, because I think it's really funny. I mean, it for sure works to help characterize him, you know, so it's it's not a bad choice, but I do think it's ugly. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Best week. Uh, so I did put Sharin because she gets rescued um, and then solves the unsolved mystery of her murdered family and then gets to like return to her homeland triumphant to become i assume an outspoken and successful activist yeah that's yeah pretty pretty solid outcome for sharon especially given that she started this whole movie out in jail that's true yeah so what did you have i put friny (laughs) because for several reasons she get rest she gets rescued from quicksand by jack and lands on his chest (laughs) plus gets some jack action which should we call that jackson jackson I'm going to go with no on that. <laughs> no dejection. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, anyways, so she gets some action at long last, all while maintaining her strong lady independence. That's what I call winning. Nice. Yes. What about worst week? Um. So I actually had initially put Jonathan because, you know, he dies. But can't <laughs> pick someone who dies. Yeah, so that occurred to me. Um, so I'm going to actually switch over um, to, say, Eleanor Lofthouse, because mm. her love interest, who's much handsomer and cooler than her husband, is murdered. And her husband is a loser who's frittered away all their money and has a drinking problem. That's way better than what I put. What'd you put? I put the Camelier. The Camelier. <laughs> he at least gets a makeout. Eleanor doesn't even get a makeout, at least not on screen. Right, right. No, it was it wasn't a good choice, but you know, he presumably loses several of his camels. Like I don't think he's getting those camels back. That's true. I wonder how much that money is worth. Like how much was that, you know, worth to him? Yeah, hopefully enough to buy new camels. Um yeah. although now that I think about it, another person who got their vehicle stolen was the guy at the beginning whose motorcycle gets stolen. <laughs> so he had a pretty bad week too. That's true. <clears throat> Um, the skill of the week? I put astronomy slash astrolabe reading. Ooh, that's a good one. I just put camels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't know how to ride a camel, so. Yeah. Um, what about murder method? Uh, yeah. Okay, so I, for this rating, am sticking strictly to the murders of Sheikh Khalil and Sergeant Wilson, because that's sort of the original murder mystery for the show um <laughs> but i suppose you could broaden the interpretation to also be like the murdered villagers mm-hmm. um but i i'm just sticking with um the murder of Sheikh khalil and sergeant wilson and i gave that a three because it was just gunshots not particularly interesting but effective yeah i put two for the same reason because it's just shooting uh, it, even the villagers and it, i mean i guess sharon's mother was knife wasn't killed with a gun but yeah, it's just not very creative. I mean, let us never forget the spider murder. Yeah. The bar is I would, high. I would have preferred if they'd had Crippens kill people in a more butler-like manner. Like, maybe mm. if he used, uh, you know, his master set of butler keys that only he had access to, or perhaps a wine decanter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know. I don't know what else butlers use. Uh, special brushes for brushing down gentlemen's jacket tails, you know? He could have... How do you murder someone with that? Well, I'll have to workshop that, but All right, sure we'll get be done. No. All right. Yeah, give that one some thought. Um, <laughs> all right, what about sexual tension? Um, 
so I'm I'm returning to the sort of original rating system here, and I'm giving it a ten out of ten. Mm-hmm. Solid. Perfect four. Yeah. There's a little will they or won't they, and then in the end they do. Exactly. Perfect. A little bit of jealousy. Yeah, it's perfect. Perfect. I did I did stray from the scale. Um, I really like the the clarity of your rating, but I rated it ten million. So. Ten million. <laughs> I like that. Well, the scale may be broken forever. Uh, it is. I mean, it is. And if there is another movie, it will be interesting to see how they handle that. Like, now that Franny and Jack are kind of a couple, where is the sexual tension coming from? Yeah. Well, I assume it'll have to be some kind of falling out. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to find out. Yeah. I mean, I really hope they do make another one. I don't I don't know that, that our wish is going to come true on that. Especially since the premiere was totally sidetracked by the pandemic. <sighs> Yeah. Ugh. Stupid um, coronavirus. Stupid coronavirus. Ruining everything. <laughs> um. Well, I think that's it. That wraps us up, doesn't it? it? Does. Now I feel really sad. Wow. Yeah. This is the end. But it's not the end. And I want to thank everyone who's given us ideas so far of what we could cover next or how we could approach Miss Fisher next or other shows. I'm personally looking forward to checking out that show we discovered last night called Frankie Drake, which oh, I yeah. think someone has recommended to us before um, on social media. So there's a lot yeah, of other let's content definitely out check there. That out. And if you have ideas, Thank you to everyone who sent in ideas already and send us more because we would really like to keep podcasting and it probably won't be such a scene by scene, episode by episode recap of a show that we absolutely love because nothing is quite like Miss Fisher, but female led narratives with a little bit of wackiness is what we're interested in. So send us yeah. recommendations. Tell us Give it to us. And if um, there's a, a slow burn romance, a lot of mm-hmm. sexual attention, mm-hmm. we'll take that as well. Handsome police inspectors accepted. <laughs> Not accepted, but accept, you know, we want them. Send them to us. <laughs> <laughs> Every lady needs a hobby. Handsome police expe- inspectors accepted. It's <laughs> 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 our tagline. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, drop us a line. Uh, everyladyneedsahobby.com. Uh, we're also on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Uh, so, you know, find us in those places. And thank you all of you so much for listening to us ramble on about Miss Fisher. It's really been kind of incredible to think about the number of people that have listened to this podcast and a little overwhelming, frankly, because yeah, yeah, it really has. We never thought so many of you would want to listen to us talk about this show. So thanks for tuning in. Yes. (laughs) And stay subscribed to your podcast feed because might be sending some more content your way. Yeah. All right. Well, one last (laughs) Well, not the last. There might be more, but anyway. What is wrong with those cats? They are so creepy looking. Why? They look possessed.